Mission is Legacy Podcast, episode one of Side Hustle Month, October 2020. This month, I'm going to be interviewing individuals who started side hustles and built them into their own personal empire, and they continue to grow. My guest today is helping people to think differently and think better about how they manage their personal finances with a concept that he started called Unlimited Life Concepts with his business partner, Brandon Goswick. So what I'm going to do, first of all, I want to welcome Nate to the show. And I want you, Nate, to just go ahead and give us a brief bio, who you are, for those who are listening and don't know who you are or what you do. Well, thanks for having me on, brother. Uh, really appreciate that. So <clears throat> my God-given name is Nathan Dean, but my friends call me Nate, so I let everybody call me Nate. Um, I am 39 years old. I don't look my age. I never have looked my age, but it's just what it is. <clears throat> when I was in uh, high school, I hated it because everybody thought I was 12, but now it's actually really cool because no nobody thinks that I'm about to be 40. <laughs> um, so it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, in addition to teaching financial education, I also have a ministry background. I'm a pastor of church. Um, we live in we live in Southeast Texas. And uh, my wife and I, we've been married for almost 18 years now, and we have four kids. And, uh, you know, life is good. Um, I uh, was just very fortunate to come across the concept of infinite banking when I did. Um, it's been a, a massive blessing in my life, and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Excellent. Yeah, I, um, I, when I got on Twitter, uh, you were actually one of the first people that I followed. Uh, we, we followed each other and I saw your pin tweet and uh, the pin tweet that you get a lot of flack over from people who don't, don't decide to think outside of the box. And for the people listening, what, what, what everyone needs to understand is unlimited life concepts is not a pyramid scheme. It's not a, and it's also not a get rich quick scheme because Eliminating debt can be rapid, but rapid does not necessarily mean overnight. So I just want to turn it over to you. And if you'd like to talk about, you know, a little bit about how uh, ULC got started and just go from, you know, what Unlimited Life Concepts is, what Infinite Banking is, and how it is a better way to manage your personal finances and get out of debt. Okay. So our story uh, started in January of 2018. Um, I came across this book called Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. Did not know <clears throat> what it was about, but I decided to read it. I actually, I'd heard about the book at some point in my life and I had downloaded it on my Kindle. And I, but I, but when I started using my Kindle, I discovered very quickly that I didn't like reading on an e-reader. I'd much rather have a book in my hand. Uh, it's just a more intimate uh, process for me. Uh, I feel like I connect better with the with the text, whatever that is. Same way with my Bible. So, um, but I had the Kindle app on my phone, and I, I came across the book, and uh, I was like, "Oh, I, I never read that book." So started reading it and couldn't stop. Um, it's only 90 pages, so it didn't take me very long to read it. But by the time I got through with it, I was like, what the heck did I just read? And so I had to go back and read it again. And uh, after I read it that second time, it really started clicking. Um, 
most people don't pick it up as quick as I did, but it, there mm-hmm. were things that just started making sense immediately for me. So I uh, reached out to my buddy, Brandon, <clears throat> who's my business partner. We've known each other for 27 years. Uh, we grew up together, um, went to junior high, high school together, went to church together. Uh, our families were friends, you know, all this stuff. So we've known each other for a long time. And we were accountability partners at the time. We had, we had lost touch with one another. Um, but then several years ago, God, God just kind of reconnected us and brought us back together. And so we, we started uh, holding each other accountable in different areas of our lives. So when I called Brandon, I said, man, I just read this book. I need you to read it. He's like, what's it about? I was like, I, I don't even, just read it. I can't even tell you, just read it. <laughs> tell me what you think about it. He was like, okay. So, you know, uh, he hangs up, orders off Amazon, calls me back. He's like, all right, quarter to days. I said, that's not good enough. I said, here's my Kindle login. Start reading it right now. And he's like, what? And I said, man, I'm serious. You got to start reading this right now. I need somebody. Cause I had like, I had this excitement, but I didn't know if it was like a false excitement or if like, there was really something to it. And I needed somebody to confirm the things that I was thinking and the, and the way I was feeling. So uh, Brandon had such a hardcore Dave Ramsey background that I knew if anybody was going to tear it apart, it was going to be him. Because I followed Dave for a long time, so I knew exactly what Dave taught, and I knew that this book was not anything close to what Dave was teaching. Mm-hmm. So uh, he eventually came back. It took him a little bit longer to process because he had to crank his, you know, get his gears cranked in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but he eventually came back. He said, "Man, if this is real, this is crazy." And I said, "Yeah, I, I'm same way." So the next step for us was. Well, if we believe that there's something to this, like, what do we do with this information? How do we get started? So we started doing some research, found a podcast called Life, Success, and Legacy with mm-hmm. these two guys, Mike uh, Mike Everett and Chris Bay. Uh, they're based out of Kansas. And started listening to their podcast. And with us, for Infinite Banking, we wanted to find people who had experience with Infinite Banking. We knew there were people out there who were having success just from our research. But at the same time, we also wanted to find people who were just genuine in what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And you listen to Mike and Chris on their podcast and they were just very matter of fact, you know, they weren't trying to make it into something that it wasn't. Um, And so we were just drawn to that. So reached out to them, said, Hey, we're these two knuckleheads from Texas who just read this book and we got to figure out what to do next. And so we started um, walking through the process of becoming their clients and through that, Brandon and I just became so excited and so inspired by what Mike and Chris were doing for us. And we were just, we were excited about what we were doing for ourselves and our families that we just thought, man, wouldn't it be awesome to be able to teach this to other people? I mean, if we feel this good about what we're doing, like, wouldn't it be cool to be able to bring this to other people the same way Mike and Chris are? And Brandon is a, was a middle school principal at the time. So uh, I had a ministry background. He was a middle school principal and we just decided, Hey, let's, you know, let's just have some fun with this, start doing it on the side and, you know, share it when we can share it. And so we did. And uh, Mike and Chris uh, agreed to mentor us. So they spent two years essentially pouring into us as we were building our business. Um, and uh, man, we're just so incredibly grateful to have mentors like those guys. They were, they were personally mentored by Nelson Nash. So we like to say that we come from high stock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, when you, when you have uh, 
that direct connection to the creator of the concept, you know, that you're, you're being taught the right information. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you know, Mike and Chris, that, you know, they became friends, you know, we had this business relationship and now they're really more like family than anything else. We still, still talk to them pretty regularly. Yeah. Mentors are, are really important because you, and I have, I've had a few, you know, indirect mentors, um, you know, when, when I got online, when I got on Twitter, things like that, I was able to, you know, get up with a, a circle of people who, who were like-minded and, and gave me those extra aha moments that I needed, you know, kind of like when you get stuck and, and oftentimes we do get stuck in life. And a lot of times it takes a mentor to bring you out of it. You don't, you don't have to go at it alone. But when you were reading uh, Nelson's book, what, what was the biggest aha moment you took away from that and made you think, wait a minute, this, this is the key. This is the ticket. So the idea, and this ties back to my pinch wheat video. Um, I went through Dave's and, and I mean, Dave's system and a lot of other systems that are out there are really similar. You know, it's, mm-hmm. Hey, get out of debt and then start building your asset column. So, but it just, it, it always like frustrated me that I would build up my bank account to a certain level and then I would go pay something off and now my, now all my money was gone, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was frustrating the idea of always working back to zero and, you know, my pin tweet video compares paying cash for a vehicle versus financing a vehicle and how, when you're financing a vehicle, you start from a negative position and you work your way up to zero when you pay mm-hmm. that vehicle off. And then you just start that process all over again. Well, when you're paying cash, you're building up to a certain level. And then when you pay cash, your money goes back to zero. You've lost the time and the momentum on that money. So your money, whether you're paying cash or you're financing, you're always working back to zero. You're always working back to the same point. And for me, when I understood that, it just was completely mind blowing. So the idea that I could continue to build um, and keep pressure and momentum on my money, even as I was going out and using it in my life somewhere, that was just, that was a game changer for me. How much are you able to say, because I, I don't want to give a lot away. I don't ever do that to people who have a product that they are selling um, because I want people to get out there and get the product. But how much can you say to give people an idea about what infinite banking is and why it's a better idea than just having a traditional savings account, just investing in stocks or something similar or, you know, investing in an IRA or a 401k or things like that, that society has told people, hey, this is the only way you can do it. And this other stuff is complete BS. So one thing that I'll say is a cash flow strategy is it's not an either or kind of thing. Uh, Infinite banking is not one of those things that you do infinite banking and then you don't do anything else. Because what what infinite banking does in in the cash flow strategies that we create for people it allows them to enhance all of their existing investments that they have. You know, if you love real estate, if you love stocks, if you love, you know, gold and silver, if you love crypto, all those things, you can run it through the lens, through the filter of infinite banking and create more upside for yourself. But uh, the analogy that I like to use, and you've probably seen this video on Twitter. um, When people ask me what I do, I tell them I have a financial education business where we teach people how cash flow strategy can be just as powerful as investing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, th- most people want to know what that means. You know, uh, th- you know, I've never heard that before. That's a foreign idea, foreign concept. So what I would say is to anybody who's listening, I'm sure you have a general understanding of real estate. So 
just imagine for a moment that you buy a piece of property in a guaranteed growth market and you build equity in that property that you have free access to. Now that in and of itself would be really great because when you have, when you have to get equity out of a home, you have to jump through hoops with the bank in order to get that equity. So, so you essentially have free equity in this ever growing asset, but not only that, taking it another step, <clears throat> you have the ability to leverage the equity in that asset to create your own personal line of credit that you own and control. So, where you would have a line of credit at the bank, you would pay interest to the bank for that line of credit. You actually get to earn interest off your own line of credit, which is crazy. Um, now, the good news with all of that is you don't have to invest in real estate in order to build a system like what I just described. And it can be scaled to whatever your situation is, whatever your existing resources are. Um, so what we do with infinite banking, it is about teaching you <clears throat> how to create your own private banking system that you own and control. Imagine being able to earn interest off of every dollar that flows through your hands, whether you're spending it or saving it. That's crazy. Um, and now the way we accomplish all this infinite banking at the fundamental level is it's all done through a properly structured dividend paying whole life insurance policy. Now, as a Dave Ramsey guy myself and Brandon being the hardcore Dave Ramsey guy he was, when we are trained by Dave, when, to, when we hear whole life insurance, we run the other direction. That's what, that's what Dave Ramsey teaches people. That's how he, he, he programs people to run the other way when they hear whole life insurance. But what Dave is talking about is not infinite banking. He is not, a, he is not talking about building a cash flow strategy with the vehicle of dividend paying whole life insurance. He's talking about a very, very, very long-term product in whole life insurance. But let me just say this, because I think this is important. In my years of teaching infinite banking, I've worked with millionaires and multimillionaires. And what almost every one of them have in common is they already had whole life insurance in place they were just never taught how to be their own bank with it. So, so my point is this, if whole life insurance, let's just take infinite banking out of the picture for just a second. If whole life insurance really was the worst place in the world to put your money, which is what Dave tells people, then it would have been a dead product 200 years ago. Hmm. Yet wealthy families and people who are high net worth individuals have seen value in it many many years so one of the things i say on twitter all the time is um poor middle class uh, uh, excuse me rich people do things with money poor and middle class are taught not to do and therefore they stay the poor and middle class so this system is all set up where buy term invest the difference puts people on autopilot for investing in the market and, you know, that goes into the 401k and, you know, all that other stuff. So uh, the, the, the message that is perpetuated so often is buy term invest the difference is uh, marketed in the, it is, it is, uh, it is intended to drive people to the market, to the stock market through, you know, uh, some type of fund. 
right? Whatever that may be. So, anyways, so infinite banking is just about that properly structured dividend paying whole life insurance policy set up in a way where you create your own private banking system where you get to recover interest, uh, recover opportunity cost, uh, all of those things that we're not taught about in school. Right. And the key term here is cash flow because yes. it's, it's one of those things where, okay, so you have, you have certain in- instances where you have cash flow, but it's not that high. Or you have certain instances where you know, you're putting money into something and it, it goes up and down like a 401k or a mutual fund or things like that, where you have to invest a crap ton of money in the first place and people don't have that. That's their problem. A lot of people you know, are in debt and they're looking for a way to get out of it. And if you're in, in investing your money, because as the saying goes, you have to invest in yourself, you, know, you spend money to get money. But there's a caveat with that. And again, the key term is cash flow. So if you're looking at a savings account, even if you have what they call a high yield savings account, you're still not getting that same amount of cash flow. And for instance, for me, I bank with Capital One. And and don't get me wrong, I enjoy banking with Capital One, but I can only take my money out of my savings account six times a year before I get penalized. And that's, wow. that's supposed to be my money, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that's what you're looking at when you're dealing with banks a lot of the times. But the thing about this is with dividend paying life insurance, it's yours. It's always yours. You use it when you want and there's not a penalty. And I think that's one of the big things that drives people away Um, because you've probably had people, we know you have people that, that dog on you for the concept at the beginning, they seen your, your pin tweet and they're just like, there's no way that can work. Um, and you're one of the most well-spoken, well-educated human beings I've ever met. And you're not up there going, uh, um, uh, your, your, your videos to the point, you got your graph, you show them, this is what, this is what I'm talking about right here. And this is why this works. And this is why the other stuff doesn't, people still give you a hard time about it. And then you probably get people who get involved, involved with it after they, after they have the course. And then after they eat on the call with you and then they just decide that it's not for them for whatever reason, I saw where you posted a, a lady was like, you know what, this is not for me, but I, I still got a lot out of it. So the, the, the information is there. People understand it, but people still feel like it's too big of a risk. So why would you say that people get that far and they still think it's a little bit too, too much of a risk as opposed to everything else? Well, if somebody goes through our entire process and they still don't see the value in it, it's simply because they haven't asked the right question yet. Because once you fully understand what this is, then you'll wonder why everybody's not doing it. And uh, there's a few different reasons why it's not as popular as it should be. Uh, One is simply Nelson wrote the book in 2000. Mm -hmm. So it's a 20-year-old concept. He self-published the book, so he didn't have a big, you know, he didn't have a massive publisher pushing it for him. It wasn't, you know, showing up in every bookstore, all that stuff. He self-published the book, and he was just doing seminars for anybody who would listen. And you go back and listen to some of uh, Nelson's story, and he says, you know, there were some times where, you know, I'd have 40 people commit to to be there, and nobody would show up, you know? Um he said, he said when he first discovered this, because it was a discovery, 
he didn't invent something. He didn't create something. He just discovered what was already there. So when he discovered this, he, he said, I tried to push it away. I tried to suppress it because he said, how do you, how do you convince people? You know, how do you convince people that this is real? How do you convince people that everything they've been taught their entire life was false? And so he said, I tried to ignore it. And, and he, he said it was actually a, a, a massive heart attack, him laying up in a hospital bed where he felt like God spoke to him and said, Hey, I gave you a message and you're not doing anything with it. And so he, he just decided when I get out of this hospital bed, I'm going to start teaching people about this. You know, I'm actually going to, I'm whether, whether anybody ever listens to me or not, you know, I know that it's real. I've seen how it applies to me personally. I know that it, if one person would ever listen to this, that it would change their life. Mm-hmm. So, um, the other side of that is, and I'll talk about this a lot, you know, our education system is not set up to empower the individual. It's set up to enslave us. It's set up to turn us into a worker for, for another big company, another big corporation. Um, so infinite banking and just the, the, pro, the principle of leverage itself is something that could be taught in college finance classes, but it's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, in the last two weeks, I've met with three different individuals who all had either uh, a, 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 a finance degree, an MBA, uh, a master's in finance. Like, I mean, like high, highly educated financial guys. Mm-hmm. All three of them were fired up and excited and couldn't believe that this was has been right in front of them for so long. I mean, one guy that I met with just yesterday, he's been in corporate finance for 25 years. And he's like, I can't believe this was right in front of me for 25 years. And I'm just now finding it, you know? Um, So it is, it's kind of hidden in plain sight in a sense. Um, But people can't get out of their own way a lot of times because we are taught that if something is too good to be true, it probably is. Well, everything is too good to be true until it's proven. Mm -hmm. So what I would just challenge people to do is take the, take the test, you know, see if, see if I can prove my worth to you. Um, And you touched on this a second ago. So we have a, a, a sort of an introductory course that we created called Holy shift, rethinking your money paradigm and Holy shift uh, you know, there's a couple of reasons why we named it that one is it's attention getting obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but two is it is a righteous shift in your thinking and your behavior as far as how you treat money. Um, it is, you know, it's an absolute paradigm shift. Um, and it's it, when you start doing infinite banking, you begin to separate yourself more and more from the masses. Mm-hmm. And in scripture, the term holy is to be set apart. Mm-hmm. And so there was, there was more to it than just, Oh, this is, this will sound good. This will grab people's, grab people's attention. You know, it was, there was more that went into it as far as the, the thought behind it. But that course is a, as a gateway to our educational process that people walk through. It's an introduction. It shows you some of the key concepts that's in Nelson's book. Um, I go over, I, you know, I get on the whiteboard and, and kind of go into detail on some of the things that people are, are listening to and hearing for the first time. And when you finish that, if you 
still, if you see the value in it or you're still curious enough that you want to you know, learn more, then you have the ability to reach out to us and we start working with you one-on-one and just teaching you and educating you as much as you want to learn. So people wonder, how can I get all of that for just the price of the course? And, and we're very transparent about everything we do. So I have no problem telling you this. I'm an infinite banking coach, but I'm also a licensed insurance agent because that's how infinite banking works. If we could do infinite banking with any other asset class, we would. It just so happens that it only works with dividend paying whole life insurance. So if someone sees the value as we take them through that educational process and somebody sees the value in infinite banking and they want that for themselves, then we'll come alongside them as their coaches and agents and get the policy set up for them so that they can start using it. You just said three things I want to touch on there. So first of all, yes, they don't teach any of this in schools. Uh, Economics class really is an economics class. It's something completely out there in left field. And you you said that, you know, you get a lot of actual finance guys, I'm sure financial advisors and things of that way, things of that nature, um, who, who get this course and they're like, oh my God, because they, even though they got into, you know, accounting or economics or whatever, and they got into it wrong, they still understand all the procedures they're in when it comes to money and capitalism and all that kind of stuff. And it it shifts their mind. It wholly shifts their mind, if you will, their mindset so that they understand, hey, this is how it should have been done all along. And what people are going to do is the, the risk is so low. The risk to reward ratio is so low to high that it's absolutely ridiculous, but it takes, it it takes a a little, it takes a little bit of a jump, but with other things in in life, you're not jumping into, you know, a bed of spikes. The safety net is there and there, there's literally nothing that can go wrong unless you just choose not to do it. So I think, I think that, something that would cause something that would cause a, an improvement in everyone's thought process is more financial advisors and, and more people of that nature getting a hold of this and teaching this to people who come to them for financial support. Because, you know, the first thing they tell them is, you know, IRA or, you know, savings account or things of this nature. And it's not the best way to do it. And, the, the whole point behind what you do is, yes, face value is, okay, this is a $97 course, and, and I'm going to get all this with it. This has got to be too good to be true. But everything else is not too good to be true. Buying all these books, buying all these other courses, investing into things that don't work, following you know, gurus who say, you don't need anybody's money. You can invest in real estate and be a billionaire you know, overnight with, with using somebody else's money. They don't understand what they're doing. It's not as cut and dry as it sounds. And what they do is they get on this course, they get in this course, they get on a call with you and you literally hold their hand and walk them through it. It's not difficult. You don't have to invest a lot of money. You don't have to invest a lot of money up front and people are just scared to death to do it, but you know, you can't make them do it. So I, I don't know what it's going to take to shift people's mindset into uh you know, a better way of managing their finances. But I will say this, when I got on Twitter 
for, for months, I didn't know you had a mailing list. So by the time I got on your mailing list, you were already in the middle or close to the end of, because you do something that I, that I really like. You were taking one of the best books ever written on finance, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, yeah. which is a difficult read for some people because it's, like, it's, it's King James English. That's, you know, that's how it is. But at the same time, it's a very interesting and very enjoyable read. And the thing about it is, the thing that will turn a lot of people off is it repeats itself a lot. But it does that for two reasons. One, because it needs to be repeated because a lot of self-help and especially self-help finance books just throw all this stuff at you and it's difficult to really absorb it. So The Richest Man in Babylon gives you the tools that you need to you know, get yourself out of debt and move yourself forward to really start um, saving in a proper way. And you use this book and expanded on it as kind of a, um, what would be the best word, as a compliment to what you do with Unlimited Life Concepts and Infinite Banking. So was The Richest Man in Babylon kind of the same aha moment you had with Nelson's book or was it something a little bit different or, or how did that work? And how did you decide to start using that um, to help out? And do you incorporate that into the course and when you coach people? So uh, Rich Man in Babylon is actually something that I read after reading Nelson's book. My, my, when, when my mind started shifting uh, away from Dave Ramsey was when I read uh, Rich Dev Poor Dev by Robert Kiyosaki. Tons of people reference that book as like their aha moment. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was when my mind started moving that direction. And if it wouldn't have been for Richest Man in Babylon, I don't know if I would have been ready for becoming your own banker. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, but you know, Robert Kiyosaki talks so much about using other people's money to create value in your life. And that's what you're doing with infinite banking because you are leveraging your cash and leveraging means you're using someone else's money to go create value in your life. So, um, and, and you know, that may sound foreign to some people. Some people may wonder what that's about. Trust me, I'll teach you all about it. You know, if you go through the course, you know, I'll show you how mechanics of it, ins and outs, all that stuff. But, um, it was, you know, just last year that I read Richest Man about one for the first time and just saw so many things, so, so much of it for me because I had been on this journey of financial education. Um, so much of, for me was, was already things that I was doing already things that, you know, made sense. Um, there were a couple things. I mean, I can't think of one offhand, but I remember there were a couple kind of aha moments. I was like, Oh, you know, I've never really thought about it that way, but it was, it was, uh, yeah, we, we wanted to, there, there's very few newsletters out there that just <clears throat> push out so much value. Um, and we knew that that was a, a book that, would be very, very uh, important to people, whether they do infinite banking or not, it would just be something that would be important to their financial life. So we wanted to uh, leverage the audience that we have with the newsletter and just basically take a book walk. You know, we go, you know, a, a chapter at a time, so to speak, or sometimes we just, you know, take a couple of pages and kind of break it down. And um, so we did that. We finished The Richest Man in Babylon and now we've moved on to The Go-Giver by Bob Berg and John David Mann. Now, The Go-Giver was a book that our mentors had shared with us. And 
we were fortunate enough to read that book before we had really earned a dollar in our business. So when we read that book, Brandon and I both, uh, we just have a heart for helping other people already. So we're, we've all, we're, we're already kind of um, wired that way. But when we read that book, it just took it, took everything to a different level for us. So our business philosophy, it, it, so much of our business philosophy is centered around, hey, we're going to take a back seat and we're just going to look at the bigger picture as far as how we can create the most value for someone else. Um, so we, uh, so naturally we wanted to take the go-giver and because it was such a gift for us and we recommend it to so many people that we wanted to take that and do a book walk through that. So now we're, now we're going through the go-giver through our newsletter and get some great response. And, uh, Bob even, uh, messaged me or sent me a tweet on Twitter, thanking me for, you know, doing that. It was cool. It was cool. You know, Twitter's such a cool place. You know, you can connect with people just so, I mean, instantaneously that you wouldn't have been able to connect with otherwise. And so, I think the, the the very first time I ever tagged Bob Berg in a tweet, uh, he responded to it. I was like, man, the author of this book <laughs> has responded to my tweet. And, uh, you know, now we follow each other and, you know, communicate back and forth every now and then. We talked about uh, how great it's going to be the one day, one day when we go have dinner and get to shake hands. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's good. That's going to happen. And uh, anyways, but the newsletter was just something that we wanted to, uh, do outside of infinite banking and just offer a ton of value to people. Yeah. The, the newsletter is great. Cause I had been, I picked up the richest man in Babylon on my Kindle and I'm kind of like you. Uh, I would rather read the book. I just, I'm not a stuff person. Try try to keep my stuff at a minimum. And you know, in case I want to haul ass and go somewhere. So I got a, I got a couple of bookshelves with books that, that are meaningful to me, but the rest especially if it's educational books. I have them on Kindle. Um, and books are a butt to move anyway. <laughs> they are, man. My God, they are. And uh, yeah. I, But I read yeah. Richest Man in Babylon on Kindle. Yeah, and yeah. I, I read I – live, I live right on the river, so I'm sitting out there, and I probably went through – I went out through almost enti- the entire book just sitting out there uh, on the river this past spring and read it, and I, I couldn't put it down. So people need to know – how imperative and how wonderful this book is to read because it's in King James English. I read it on a Kindle and it repeats itself over and over and over again. Those are the three things people probably don't like about reading, but this book is so amazing. And I had subscribed to your newsletter after I think, I think it was just before I got the course and I was sitting out there and then I got the, the email notification opening up and I'm like, this dude is going, doing a, a go through on a, on the same book. And this book is absolutely wonderful. So with that being said, do you still recommend for people to read rich dad, poor dad? Um, I don't ever, it's been a while since I told somebody that they need to go read that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really, I don't really know. I don't really know why you know, I haven't recommended it in a while because it was, it was a big deal for me. Uh, I think it's because it has become so popular that most people who have uh, accepted the idea that there's other things that are out there, you know, and and finance can be done a different way. 
it's because they've already read that book. So there's a whole lot of people that, I mean, you, you just put a poll out on Twitter and ask them, Hey, what was the first book that you read that changed your mindset when it came to mo- when it came to money? Most people are going to say rich dad, poor dad. So I think it's one of those things that I just assume because it's so popular that most people have already read it. So, um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a good read. I mean, it's a great story. Um, you know, about, you know, how money really works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to, I wanted to ask you this and you talk, uh, you go in, in as much detail as, as you prefer to do with this. Cause we've talked about it before, but it, it's something that it's important for people to know is that the guy who is able to change your life and get you out of debt was able to start this whole concept while in debt. So in a way the gun was to your head. And sometimes in life, the, the time to act is not until the gun is right to our head or the knife is to our throat or whatever kind of morbid metaphor you want to use. But you had, you had a little bit of debt in your life and you were able to not only, you know, get out of that debt, but, you know, start, you and Brandon both start this company uh, with that looming over your head. So, so talk a little bit about that in as much detail as you want to. Well, uh, Nelson is uh, who you're referring to earlier as far as his story and how he, how he discovered this was uh, back in the 80s, he had um, a bunch of real estate deals going on and owed like half a million dollars in real estate and interest rates went up to like 21, 21% prime or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, like it was, it was crazy. So astronomical. You know, he had, yeah, just 20 something percent in interest that he now owed on half a million dollars. And he was like, I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. Like there's no, there's no way I can cover that. You know, there's no way in the world I can cover that. And he said, he said it was a lot of late nights on my knees in, in the kneeling position praying that um, it was, it was from that experience that uh, God reminded me that I had been paying high premiums for whole life insurance for a long time. And I had the ability, uh, this is Nelson talking. I had the ability to go borrow from my life insurance policy, even though interest rates had shot up to 20 something percent. I had the ability to go borrow from my life insurance policy and interest only loan at 5%. And that's how he was able to overcome the, the massive debt situation in his life and how he was able to actually keep his head above water was leveraging the whole, his cash values inside of his whole life insurance policy. So uh, infinite banking, the number one thing infinite banking does is it rapidly eliminates debt. And the way that happens is one, when you begin to apply the principle of leverage, when it's properly applied through infinite banking, it creates uh, muscles for your money is what I like to say where your money becomes stronger. When your money becomes stronger, that means you can accomplish more with it. And so with infinite banking, um, as you said, I had a lot of debt whenever I learned about the concept. Uh, Some of that was personal debt, the just stupid decisions I'd made over the years. Some of it, uh, you know, this is kind of a long story, but some of it, well, actually the majority of it was uh, things that were just completely out of my control that, that I just had to deal with. So, uh, between those two things, like 
when I learned about infinite banking, we were not in a good place financially. Uh, I mean, we, you know, we were behind on some bills, things like that. I mean, it was, it was a stressful time. And what Mike and Chris, our mentors were able to show me was that I had resources at my disposal, but I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about them the right way. And I wasn't creating the most efficiency in my life with, with the way that I was using those resources. So they were able to design a plan for me to get me out of debt. And it didn't even change my cash flow situation. Like it wasn't one of those things where, oh no, now I've got this massive uh, contribution that I've got to make to this plan in order to, you know, in order to build it up where I can actually start using it. Um, they showed me how, you know, just by rethinking everything that I was already doing, how I could start to work through this. And so it just, it shifted, it changed my situation so dramatically and so rapidly that in a very short period of time, we were just breathing so much easier. And that was before we even started the, started the business. That was just in my own personal life. And that was why I knew that we had to share this with other people because I was like, you know, the issue of money itself uh, with couples is one of the biggest issues that causes divorce. You know, money is just such, and it's usually the lack of money. It's usually the, either the lack of money or the lack of communication with money. Those are usually the things. And so, um, you know, me and my wife, we love each other dearly, but it was still a stressful time. You know, we weren't, we weren't contemplating divorce or separation or anything like that, but it was, it, there was, there was tension in the house constantly. And when we moved out of that, the, the peace of mind that, that we had just the, the peace that we had in the house, but then also finally for the first time in my life, I had hope that I knew that I was going to be able to build something for my future. Because when you, when you have that much debt on your plate, it feels like by the time I finish paying off this debt, it's going to be time to retire. Like I'm never, I'm never going to be able to get on the positive side of this thing. And uh, so it just gave us so much peace and so much hope. And I knew that if it did that much for us, then it could do that for other people. And, you know, I wanted, I wanted to share that gift with, with other people. I wanted to further Nelson's legacy. I was so, so grateful for what, he did for me, even though I never got to personally shake his hand because unfortunately he passed away. But I was so grateful for what he did for me that I wanted to continue that legacy and, and make sure that people always knew his name. That's awesome. And that's, that's your calling and that's your gift. And I want that, that actually helps us move into the next topic that I want to get into, which, which was ministry. But I wanted to wrap this portion up by saying that it, it's going to take a realization it's going to take putting that fear into yourself of where you're at, especially if you're in debt, you have a guy who is experienced. He's been in the trenches. If you're ever looking for a coach, you want to make sure that coach has been in the trenches. Um, Cause I do self-development coaching on the side. And I can tell you for a fact that I have been in the trenches and uh, I'm going through uh 
the course right now. Well, I've finished the course. I'm going through everything right now. And Nate is 100%. He 100% knows what he's talking about, and, he, and he's excellent to work with. And he can help you if you just decide to take this jump. It's a very simple, pro, uh, simple process. It takes minimal investment, and all it really takes is, is dedication. I can pretty much say with all confidence that there's no risk in this. And as, at least as opposed to other things that you may choose to pursue in life that society told you is a good idea when it's in fact not so at at the end i'll um we'll let everyone know you know where you can follow and where you can pick up the course and things of that nature but i did want to move into uh, ministry well, hey, which we're, is a before we do that let me just say this real quick um, okay. because you mentioned you mentioned risk um the uh and you mentioned the the cost of the course 97 dollars. so the only risk in going through the course is learning something new because yes. if you get to the end of that and you decide this is not for you, just send us an email, ask for a refund. We'll refund you. No questions asked. So this is really on you. You know, how much are you willing to learn? How much are, you know, what, what amount of pain are you experiencing right now that you would like to eliminate in your financial life? Because when we design a custom strategy for you, and that's what we'll do as part of the process, as part of going through the course, you know, all of that is done up front. We'll look at your life and we'll design a custom plan around that. And if that plan adds one ounce of your one ounce of stress to your financial life, then we have not done our job because infinite banking, as I said earlier, it is all about freeing you up as quickly as possible. It's not about putting more on you. So, if you, if you feel stressed when it, you know, if we design a plan for you and you feel stressed about it, then we need to go back to the drawing board. But mm -hmm. most people, when they see it, it starts to click because infinite banking is a cool idea, but it's very theoretical until you see how it applies to you personally. And once you see how it plugs into your life, then it really starts to take shape and make a lot more sense. Right. I'm definitely glad you elaborated on that. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to move into uh, ministry. Um, because this is this is very important because this is something that that takes because you're you're not only coaching people to get better with their finances you're uh, pastors in a way are coaches or at least they should be and you're other than you know how it normally works you know you you got the calling but how did you get involved in the ministry how did you decide that you wanted to get involved in ministry and how does that tie in to your business endeavors and also your family endeavors. I didn't, I never decided I wanted to be involved in ministry. God just bugged me about it so much <laughs> that I finally had to give in. Um, so how I, how I originally got into the, just the, the area of ministry was um, when I went to uh, college. All right, let me back up a little bit. So senior year of high school, I have, no clue what I want to do. I figured I'd probably go get a business degree because my dad was an entrepreneur. You know, he had his own business. So I figured I would get a business degree and, you know, I might run the family business or I might just, you know, be in, be in some area of business. So, um, I figured I was going to get a business degree. So my senior year of high school, they have senior day at the local college. And for, for us, 
uh, the lo- the local college we we kind of called that thirteenth grade because that's where everybody went. Right. Um, so <laughs> so I swore I would never go there because that's where everybody went, or that's what you know that's what I would say um, to myself. But we go to uh, senior day at the college, and they have all these different departments that you can go to and check out. And I didn't really see anything on there that that was that interesting to me, but um, they did have a music department and I sang a little bit at church, like very little. Um, my mom growing up, she always told me that I could sing and I just thought she was being nice because she was my mom. Like, you know, that's what moms do. And uh, so I really had zero confidence in myself, but I went to the music department and the choir director was talking about their choir. And uh, I mean, it sounded interesting. And, and then he said, come back after lunch, you know, y'all go get lunch and come anybody who wants to can come back after lunch and you can audition for the choir. And so I finally felt like, okay, this guy has no clue who I am. I'm going to go in a private room where nobody else is going to hear me. And I'm finally going to be able to tell my mom that I cannot sing (laughs) because I'm going to, I'm going to be getting the information from him. So I come back, I go to audition for the choir. We go in this room by ourselves. He plays silent night on the piano. I sang, he hands me a piece of paper and says, fill this out. I'll give you a scholarship. I was like, what? He said, I want you in my choir. And I was like, okay. And so (laughs) I came home and told my parents, um, I just got a scholarship today. And they were like, what? And I said, a choir scholarship. And so I went to school for two years on a choir scholarship. And then I ended up transferring from that school to another school where I had my, my grades were really good. So I ended up with another academic, well, I ended up with an academic scholarship and a choir scholarship at Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, Texas. Um, and so I ended up uh, singing in choir at SFA for a year uh, before I ended up transferring uh, because m- my wife and I, we got engaged and we were far, we were far apart when we got engaged. So I ended up transferring back home to be closer to her where she was going to school. Wow. Dude, that is amazing. I didn't even know they had choir scholarships. So was it a, it was a Christian college, I'm assuming. No, it wasn't. No, it was just a, it was just a, it was basically a junior college, uh, Panola, Panola College in Carthage, Texas is where I started out. And then I went to SFA after that. Wow. That is amazing. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of talk right now. Um, a lot of people realize, cause me personally growing up, I came from, uh, you're going to go to church. You're going to go every Sunday morning, every Sunday evening, every Wednesday night. And of course, I dreaded it, dreaded it, dreaded it. And I think a lot of the reasons now that I'm in my 40s, I understand what I didn't understand as a child is that the things that were being taught were just, it's really depressing. It's a lot of times when you get into a church, um, you, because you have to vet your churches accordingly. You have to. Yeah. And um, th- there are a lot of things missing you know, from the church, uh, masculinity is being one of them. A lot of the times right now, there's a lot of, you know, promoting of weaknesses. There's also a lot of teaching things in a way that they're not, they're not beneficial to people because I guess you could say they're just being taught wrong. It's more, you, you know, you need to be nice, whereas you don't need to be nice, you need to be kind. 
because there's a huge difference between being nice and being kind. And one who's ever read No More Mr. Nice Guy, that's a, a game-changing book for, for men a lot of the times. So when, when you are ministering to people, what are some of the, what are some of the, the top things that are, that are absolutely um, non-negotiable when you're trying to get information out there um, to people to help improve their lives and, and help with self-development and, and things of that nature from a spiritual and religious perspective? Well, uh, I'll answer that in just a second because I want to put a bow on my story <laughs> that you asked earlier about how I got into oh. ministry. Oh, so, because okay. um, so, I was I was kind of building that up, and then and then I forgot that I was <laughs> I was actually trying to finish a point. So oh, yeah, you, um, you quit talking, so I went with. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all good. So uh, I had that music background, and my wife and I we were involved in a church, and uh, it was 2006. And they were without a music minister and they had brought in like four different people to leave music and none of them were really what the church was looking for. But they, the, the search committee knew that I had that music background, you know, being in college and everything like that. I still had very little, even though I'd gone through three years of choir, I still had very little confidence in myself. Um, so they had asked me multiple times if I would consider just leading music one Sunday. And I was like, Nope, there's no way I'm getting in front of people and, and leading, you know, there's no way I'm singing in front of a hundred people. And, um, but they kept asking. And after about the fourth guy that I, it was one of those things where every time somebody was up there and it wasn't me, it was like the spirit of God was just telling me you could do better. You could do better. Mm -hmm. And uh, so finally, after like the fourth guy, I went up to the, the, uh, the leader of the committee and I said, I'll lead next Sunday. I said, I don't know what's going to happen after that, but I just know that I'm supposed to do this at least one time. And so I said, yes. And I actually tweeted about this yesterday. I don't know if you saw it or not. I said, 14 years ago, I said yes to singing in front of a hundred people. And that was the beginning of my growth journey in life. Um, because I used to be really shy. Yeah. So, but I said, yes. And that Sunday I got up there and I led music and I was scared to death. My knees were knocking, my voice was shaking, all this stuff. But, uh, from that point forward, I was there for a year and a half as the music minister at the church. Um, because they, they came to me after that Sunday and they were like, Hey, a lot of people really enjoyed it. Um, would you consider just doing this until we find somebody? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. So I was kind of the interim. And then after a couple of weeks, they said, the church doesn't want anybody else. They just want you to do it. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and so, uh, so that's how I got into ministry. Once I left that church, I was on staff at another church for eight years as their music and youth minister. So I worked with the students and I also led music for the church. And, and then after those eight years were up, uh, is where I'm at now where, you know, God called me to be a pastor and I never aspired to be a pastor. It was one of those things that when, when he laid it on my heart, I just knew that that's what I was supposed to do. And so mm -hmm. I, I stepped into that and I accepted that, that that's, that was the next step for me. Um, but it took about three years after I said yes for him to actually open the door for me to have my very first church. So, uh, when I'm, one of the things you said earlier about things that are lacking in the church, the biggest thing 
the biggest issue that I see in the church, um, one is, as you said earlier, there's a lot of men that just don't have a backbone anymore, unfortunately. Um, but the thing that I see the most is people are focused on the wrong thing. People are focused on the rules. People try to run businesses or try to run churches like businesses instead of ministries. And if, if we would go back to the fundamentals and this is what I try to teach my students all the time, because when you're working with students, it's very easy to just like lay out a list of rules and say, don't do this. 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 You know, and just get hammered with the list of rules where there's not very many people that just want to have a a list of rules thrown at them. Um, so, uh, now, now the, the ultimate rules of the 10 commandments, you know, Mm -hmm. that we're given and, the, the funny thing about the Ten Commandments is if if you follow the first one, which is you shall have no other gods before me, mm-hmm. then all the other ones take care of themselves. Right. Because all sin boils down to is selfishness, you know, mm-hmm. us being more concerned about ourselves than we are about what God wants. So when I was encouraging my students and teaching them, it wasn't about a list of rules. It was about just love Jesus, you know pursue him because when you pursue him then he has this unique way of changing our heart's desire where our desires become his desires or his desires become our desires Mm -hmm. and so i'm not about you know all these different rules that people need to follow i'm just about you need you need to love jesus because jesus is the one that uh opens up well well when when we love jesus over anything else the rules kind of take care of themselves would be the best way to say it. And see, that's, that's what's so paramount is that, is that overthinking that people get, but they're also told to overthink, you know, and a a lot of the smartest people that I ever met, you know, especially, you know, from a Christian background, they say, look, people keep forgetting about the 10 commandments. And I remember you saying that before, um, about if you followed the first one, the, the, uh, because when I, when I say you said it before, cause Nate and I tried the podcast before and there was a bad storm where he was and the audio was, was crapping out on us. So, um, so when I say he said it before, not on this episode, but I've heard you say it before you follow the first one, everything else takes care of itself, which makes it so simplistic. You got 10, there's that first one. Oh, look, now the other nine makes sense. And I've heard other people say it as well, other pastors and, and other people who say that as well. And like you said, you hit on a, you hit on a huge point right, right there. You're just getting all of these rules. And I think that a, one, of, one of the biggest problems uh, as a whole is that people are following pastors instead of following the divine. So yeah. the, 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 the pastor is supposed to work as the conduit, you know, to the divine, but they're following just what the pastor says. And sometimes the pastor says stuff that's kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't know about that, especially with the whole being nice and, you know, not having a backbone and things of that nature. And they don't know they're getting indoctrinated into that. And I don't know if you've ever read Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. It's been a while, but I do, yeah. I do remember pieces of it, but it's been a yeah. long time. Um, yeah. He, um, it was like 2000. 2005, I think, is when I read that for the first time. Yeah, and I have the updated version. Uh, I think it's I think it's the third 
and it gets uh, a little more little more modern um but he's he talks about a big premise of the book is is that hey all y'all think jesus was a wuss let me tell you how it really went down and you're being told to be a wuss let me tell you how it really needs to go down and and he he, he states it specifically in there uh, about, you know, if you come over to his house and, and the, the six-year-old boy is climbing the curtains, that's just how it is. I'm not telling him to get down. He's a boy. That's what he does. He, they, they act out. That's what we do as boys. I remember acting out as a boy. And now if I got out of hand, you know, my parents would say something. But if I'm climbing trees or climbing the walls or whatever I'm doing, having a good time, I'm dressed like He-Man or whatever, then, you know, that was encouraged. You know, boys should be encouraged to be boys and girls should be encouraged to be boys. I mean, girls should be encouraged to be girls. Um, but... I think that's one of the one of the biggest problems. One of the things that that turned me away from it, growing up and being forced into into very and I've been in them all: Baptist, uh, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, you know, loud, soft. I've been in black churches. I've been in white churches. You know, I, I've been in all of it, and a lot of them had a lot of the same premise. Is that and the cool thing about black churches is they take it back to the beginning, and they're really about hey, it, it's all about the divine. It ain't about the pastor. The pastor's the conduit. So I think you touched on something that was that was really big um, as far as all of that goes. But I did want to ask, so you have you have four children and how many are boys and how many are girls? I have two boys and two girls. Okay. Uh, my old my oldest oldest son is sixteen, my youngest son's thirteen, and my two girls are ten and seven. Okay. So how do you manage to to juggle between, you know, being a father of girls and being a father of boys, because you're, you're split right down the middle there. What are some of the discrepancies that you run into when you're raising both? Um, there's definitely a delicate balance. Uh, it's, it's funny how, you know, the boys can, can fall down and hurt themselves or whatever. And you're like, I'll just suck it up, get up, you know, you're fine or whatever. But you know, one of my big girls falls down and hurts themselves. You know, I'm, I'm running over there, checking on them, making sure they're, they're okay. Um, you know, so there, there's definitely a difference. I mean, you treat, you treat boys and girls different. Um, you know, there, you know, there's a, there's a natural, uh, tendency for us to, to treat females different from males. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where it's not something that I consciously think about when it comes to how I'm treating one over the other. It's, it's just something that just kind of naturally occurs. Um, so I don't really, I don't really have a, a specific strategy, so to speak, as far as, you know, how I treat one over the other. That's cool. Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, they tend to run into, you know, a few issues. Um, I, I mean, I can't imagine having four kids, um, especially of both genders. It's like if you have, you know, 17 boys, it would probably be a whole lot easier than having, you know, <laughs> 16 boys and one girl or, you know, 17 yeah. girls or you know, things like that. But I think um, I, guess, I guess the biggest, because I'm not a father, but I have been a child. And uh, I, th I think the biggest challenge would be for a father. I know if I had kids, this would be my biggest challenge is, setting a good example, good example for the sons of how a father should be and how a man should treat women and setting an example, um, for the type of men that 
women are looking to be with. I guess that would. Yeah. Well, and, and I've said that on Twitter before, you know, my, my boys will know how to treat a woman because of the way I treat my wife. My girls will know how to be treated because of how I treat my wife. So yeah, you're exactly right. You know, you've got to set, you got to set that precedent on both sides of the table so that, um, you know, we're not creating this environment of, uh, you know, wimps, so to speak, when it comes, when it comes to men and, you know, how they, how they should treat women. Um, because men who, uh, men who beat women and all that stuff. I mean, that's, that's weak. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not trying to raise up a weak generation. Uh, we want to raise up a strong generation. And so, um, you know, I'm confident that my boys are going to be able to go out and find healthy relationships. Um, I'm confident that my girls are going to be able to go out and find healthy relationships. Uh, my oldest son is uh, dating a girl right now. And, you know, it's really, uh, her dad's, her dad's real, real conservative. And, you know, I am as well. Um, so, you know, they've never been by themselves anywhere. You know, it's always in a group environment. Um, in fact, when my son wanted to ask her out, he had to call her dad and talk to mm -hmm. him about that, um, before he even asked her. And man, I, I, I tweeted that out because I was, I was just blown away. Um, I was so proud of my son, you know, that, that he did that. I, I saw that as something that was really cool. And I was, it was a proud dad moment for me mm -hmm. and I tweeted it out, man. And it blew me away how many people like retweeted it with all this, like, you know, I, I can't believe, I mean, just all this, all this weak crap that's out there oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. you know, about how she, sh he shouldn't have had to ask her dad for permission. You know, it's not her, it's not, it's not her dad's business. You know, all this, all this, feminist crap. I mean, that's really what it boiled down to. Of course. Um, so anyways, uh, you know, I, I've, I don't remember who it was. I've seen it said multiple times on Twitter where you want to raise your kids up to the point where they no longer need you, where you become mm -hmm. obsolete in their life, so to speak. You know, I, I lost my dad eight years ago to cancer. Um, and that's been really hard for me. Uh, it, it, it forced me to grow up a lot, mm -hmm. even though I was in my thirties when I lost him, you know, I still had to grow up. Yeah. Um, and you know, I wish every day that, that he was still here, that I could still have that relationship with him. Um, but also know that, that he equipped me in a lot of different areas because, you know, he taught me how to love my wife because of the way he loved my mom. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. He taught me how to love my kids because of the way he loved us. He taught me how to love Jesus because of the way he loved Jesus. Yeah, that's an amazing thing, man. And somebody like I, and I consider you one of the strongest men I know. And I see you catch a lot of crap on Twitter. I see a bunch of strong guys. And I, I actually tweeted something about this the other day, man. It's like, it's always these uber feminist males who just unload on me every time I say something about men not being weak. And I don't know why they take it as a personal attack, but 
you know, these guys saying something to the Guilty effect conscious. of exactly. exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I just hand them the shoe, man. That's all I do. Yeah. And it just happens to fit, you know, it's like I yeah. told, um, who did I tell? I think it was Hotep Jesus. I said, I don't, I don't, I don't stir the shit pot. I just hand people the stick, you know, they can stir it themselves. And, you know, people are more than capable of calling themselves out. And I often tell people, and I tell people this, you know, in self-development, because people, people start to seek that external validation and it's, and it's very dangerous and it's very, very poisonous. It's right up there with comparison because comparison is the thief of joy and people get out there and they seek this validation and it starts to, they get hurt because of, because they get trolled or they get idiots, you know, and things of that nature, but saying something to the effect of, you know, it's none of his business. That's his baby. That is his business. You know, and to, to be able to step up, I mean, to think, think about the amount of pride swallowing your kid had to partake in to be able to call that man up and ask permission. That's some old school stuff right there, man. And it takes, it doesn't take weakness. It takes respect. And it's different if a girl is calling the mother and saying, can I date your son? That's a little bit different. But yeah. as far as him having the cojones to call the man up and say, look, you know, I, I, I want to date your daughter and things like that. And you guys, you guys keeping it cool by not letting them be alone because, you know, kids will be kids and hormones will be hormones and things of that nature. And it's a, it's amazing that you guys are, are doing, and that's, that's what I like about conservative values. You know, it, it may sound restraining to the, to the untrained eye and the untrained ear and the untrained soul, but and this is not about protection. This is not about um, a level of safety that leads to weakness in the way it would. You're not telling them no. You're just setting those boundaries that kids need now. And, and, and they'll appreciate you for it later. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. And that's why a lot of people just need to filter out. You know, if it doesn't, if it doesn't apply, don't reply. If you don't like it, that's fine. Don't like it, but you don't have to respond. So I'm really proud of you and proud of them and proud of her dad and just proud of the whole situation. Because I honest, honestly, and truly, we need a whole lot more of that right now in society. Well, I, I have a very different view of dating now than I did when I was <laughs> his age. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when I was a teenager and in college and stuff like that, you know, it was, that was just the thing you did is you, you, you just, had a girlfriend, you know, and, um, without any intention of it, you know, leading any further or anything like that, you just wanted, you won't, you just wanted somebody. Um, but my view of dating has changed a lot because if, if all you're doing is dating just to date, then aren't you just wasting time? Mm -hmm. Because everything has a natural progression in life. So if you are dating someone and the moment you realize that this is not someone that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, you need to get out of that relationship Yeah, because you're only going to create more pain for both of you as long as it continues. But people get in relationships and they feel stuck. Mm -hmm. And so my view of dating has changed a lot where, you know, if, if two people are going to be, uh, uh, turn loose, you know, on their own a hundred percent. Um, like I said, my son's kind of going through a courtship, you know, with this girl. So he, it's not like they're going on dates by themselves and all this stuff. So, but if two people are going to be turned loose, they both need to have in their mind that the next step 
is marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if they if if either party gets to the point where they realize, and when they realize that the next step is not marriage, then that relationship needs to end. But people people prolong relationships far longer than they should mm-hmm. um, because they either. Uh, they're just in too deep emotionally and they don't feel like they could ever just detach themselves. Um, or the other thing is they're just scared of being alone, scared of being by themselves. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times people do is they, <clears throat> they get a little bit too, too superficial and they're attracted. They, they let lust lead the way and that, that dies out kind of fast because you're going to start out with that, with that lust. I mean, we're human beings. It's what we, we do. We procreate. That's what we do. But at the same time, that lust converts into a different kind of lust. So it's, it's, it's this, you know, I want to, I want it right now. I kind of thing. And then it becomes, it goes. So in other words, it goes from this short-term thing to this long-term thing. But for a lot of people, that short-term does not become, long term they have that same we just met it's really exciting mindset and they don't know how to take uh they don't know how to go from passionate to permanent and a lot of times what happens with that is people you know they let their lust drive them and then they end up you know getting married because of the lust and they have kids because of the lust then the relationship and the marriage completely falls apart and they quote unquote stay together for the sake of the kids and it's the most disastrous thing. I cannot imagine what would have happened if my parents had not divorced when I was eight years old. It would have been a complete crap storm. And I'm not saying that, you know, divorce is good, of course, because it's a, it's a very detrimental thing. Some, some parents are able to do it and coexist and remain best friends or what, however that goes. But um, I think if you vet accordingly and you learn to you learn to embrace values outside of, you know, just how, it, how physically attracted am I, am I to this person? And you actually put boundaries on yourself and you teach your children to put boundaries on themselves and learn to look at the bigger picture, then the relationship has a better chance of surviving. And I can say, you know, I can say this with experience because I was one of those superficial guys. I was completely driven by lust the entire time. And there at the end, a lot of my relationships were complete train wrecks. I did not vet accordingly. I was super attracted to train wrecks. That's what I was attracted to. I went out and just looked for train wrecks. And I've been with more women than I should have been with. And I did not vet accordingly. And I mean, I take ownership for all that at the same time, because it does take two to screw something up. So even though they were questionable. I, I was questionable as well. And right now I choose to stay single because I'm not ready to dump my past and my skeletons onto someone else. I do not want them to have to deal with that. So my whole thing right now is, you know, getting my self-development together. And this is what I teach to younger guys. This is why I love to teach younger guys because I can get them before they F up and really cause some, some damage to themselves and teach them, you know, how to, how to improve themselves as a means to attracting more higher quality women. And the great thing about having someone like you as a father is that you're able to teach those values to your son. And as a pastor, teach those values to other people.
So that you're not giving them, hey, this is how to do it. This is how you should think to do it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you have a lot of opportunities being a pastor, being a minister, you have a lot of opportunities to, to work with a lot of different people and not just people in the church, because there's so many people who are hungry for uh, good biblical wisdom that, you know, the moment they figure out you're a pastor, you know, they want to, they want to, they want to bend your ear. You know, they want to find out, you know, they want to share information with you about, you know, what's going on in their life. And they want to hear, you know, what I have to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, my business is a, a massive extension of my ministry uh, in a lot of different ways, because when people find out you're a pastor, like I said, they want to share information with you. But um, also at the same time, when you have good information to share, uh, like infinite banking, then you have a captive audience and they're willing to listen to everything else you've got to say also. So there's been many times where I've been in conversation with someone who's learned about infinite banking. Well, all of a sudden God just opened the door for me to just share my faith with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're an organization, we're a business. Um, but in a lot of ways we kind of, we kind of operate as a ministry because we're always looking for ways that we can share the love of Jesus with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's an amazing thing. Um, I think that's, it's very important because it's, that's where you came from. And if people don't like that sort of thing, it's like, like I tell people going back to wild at heart, I don't care if you're an atheist, read that book. I mean, you can take you know so much away from it. Um, but before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you this. Um, I know you just, uh, had, you just added a few updates to the course. Um, so what is, what's in store for unlimited life concepts going forward and what is in store for you and the family going forward? So as far as business goes, um, man, it just 2020, you know, is a year for a lot of people that they're just, you know, they were uh, just devastated by everything that happened. We were just blessed with a different story because 2020 just completely changed our business. I mean, it's just blown up in a really cool way. So uh, we've had several uh, people who we brought on recently as team members. So we're steadily expanding our network more and more okay. uh, plans for the future. We've got some big dreams, you know, ways that we can franchise in the future um, and get, uh, you know, office offices all over the country. Um, that's one of the, the ideas that we have. And then uh, another big idea that we have is uh, this is, this is like the big, big <laughs> dream is to uh, take on the payday lending industry and create a lending service that is actually uh, something that revolves around financial education and helping people uh, to break the cycle of continuing to borrow money. So um, there's a, there's a, a, there's a whole uh, model that we've kind of talked through as far as, you know, how we want to do that, how we want to structure it. I couldn't tell you if that's going to be, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, I don't, I don't know when that's going to be. Um, but it is, those are two of the big things that we're looking towards as far as how we're going to grow in the future. But we have for any existing client who is using infinite banking, uh, we created, uh, an associate program. And with that associate program, you have the ability, if you want to, you have the ability to go out and and share infinite banking with other people 
And if they end up, if they end up coming to the table by your referral, well, then you get, you can receive uh, compensation for that. Um, and so we have, I don't, I don't even know how many people we have in that program right now. And that just gets, because it, it keeps growing, seems like weekly, because when people start using infinite banking, same thing with us, when we started using infinite banking, we couldn't keep it to ourselves. We got so excited about it. We wanted to share it with somebody else. Yeah. So any one of our clients who, who, who ends up using infinite banking naturally, whether they're getting paid for it or not, they're going to tell their friends, their family, you know, they're going to tell somebody because they're fired up about it. So we just wanted to be able to show our appreciation on a deeper level by creating this associate program. And the, you know, the details of the associate program, we can share with somebody, you know, as time goes on, how, how you get into that program, how it works, all that stuff. Um, Cause you do have to put some skin in the game on your side, but yeah. um, that's for people who are just fired up and excited and want to kind of build something a side hustle, so to speak, for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, they have the ability to, to, to start a little side hustle for themselves, uh, which is what our business started out as. And as time goes on, it, you know, it's turned into more of a, a full-time gig for us. Brandon, being a middle school principal, he uh, quit his job at the beginning of this year. So he is full-time in the business now. And uh, he has given uh, – he and I both have given our wives the ability to retire if they choose to. His wife has chosen to take him up on that. So okay. in October, she is uh, retiring as a registered nurse. So she's coming home to just be a stay-at-home mom, nice. uh, which is really cool. And uh, my wife actually just got a promotion. So she's like, let me see how my, let me see how my promotion works out for a little while. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know this is something I've been working towards for, for a long time. So right. um, she wants to uh, do that for a little while at least. But it, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing to be able to give her the option where she doesn't feel like she's stuck in that job. And that's one of the things that I encourage people a lot on Twitter is, Hey, if you feel stuck, go do something about it. Don't just yeah. stay stuck. You know, you create, if you feel stuck and you feel like your value is, is not recognized in your current situation, then go create a side hustle and mm -hmm. you'll all of a sudden you'll start to feel the, your value rise to the yeah. level it should be. And you keep building that up and working towards that. And eventually one day you can tell your boss, Hey, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm out. Peace out. <laughs> Chunk deuces and, and go do your own thing. Um, so anyways, I don't even remember what the question was. <laughs> oh, you, you said what's up for the business. So uh, any, any big plans for the family? Oh, yeah, yeah. Forward? Family, family. Um, well, we, we bought 23 acres recently. Congrats. So in the next, thank you, thank you. Uh, uh, my idea, uh, ideally, I would love for that property to be self-sustainable. So I would love to be able to, you know, have, um, have all our vegetables, all our meat, you know, everything that we would want off of our own property. In fact, I tweeted that out the other day. I said, I would love to eat a meal one day where everything came off of my land. I think that would yeah. just be awesome. Yeah. And, uh, so I would love for that to happen. Um, we're going to be building on that property probably in the next six months or so. And I want that to be a generational property, something that stays in the family for a long time, kind of like the old family homestead, you yep. know? Um, so I see that as something to be really cool. It'd be a, a lot of land for my kids to just run and have fun. Mm -hmm. I grew up on 10 acres. So we used to have four wheelers and uh, dirt bikes and go-karts and, you know, all this stuff that we just used to run wide open with. Yeah. And I'd love to have, give my kids that same experience. 
So we'll get some toys for them to play with like that. Um, definitely want to build myself a gun range out there. I think that'd be awesome mm-hmm. as well. So lots of cool things that we're excited about uh, as far as the future goes. Um, you know, we're just going to continue to honor the Lord and what we do and uh, always be reminded of where everything comes from. And uh, we, we encourage everybody that will, we encourage everybody that we're working with to just be good stewards of, of everything that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, our philosophy in our business is we're going to be good stewards of the information and then we're going to let God take care of the rest. So we never put pressure on people to make decisions or anything like that. We just put it all out there and leave it in their hands. Um, but our, uh, our other passion in being good stewards is just, you know, we've been blessed with a lot of, a lot of income, a lot of revenue, you know, through our business. And we've had the opportunity to meet needs in other people's lives for different things. Um, we're, we're both fundamentally, I mean, at heart, we both um, enjoy helping people and giving to others. So uh, we created a side fund. So every there's a percentage of every dollar that comes into our business that gets put in this side fund that's called our giving fund. And then we just wait for God to be to open the door for us to be a blessing to someone else. Um, so when people send money to us, whether it be through the course or through becoming a client, they are indirectly participating in ministry and in, in helping someone else in some capacity. Uh, we've been, we've just been fortunate to be able to help people that were going through cancer treatments, help people who were going through adoptions. Um, you know, we were able to help families during Christmas time, just all kinds of stuff. So it's not, this isn't, this isn't uh, a business where you're just lining our pockets, you know, with your, your money or whatever. We're constantly looking for other ways we can turn around and push that back out. Um, to create value for someone else. So um, it's, it's a ton of fun. We, we love doing what we're doing. We're very passionate about infinite banking and uh, it's, it's uh, a privilege to be able to share this with other people. I'm so happy things have gone as, as well as they have and that you're able to reach so many people and help so many people. So um, to wrap it up, I would like to encourage everyone again, um, follow Nate on Twitter Pick up the course, the Holy Shift. Um, if you have any questions, he will answer them for you. He will literally hold your hand through the entire process. He's one of the most genuine people I have ever talked to in my entire life. And I can vouch uh, for him when I say that he will be the best coach you ever had as far as getting out of that financial hole, uh, fixing all of your debt issues, fixing your personal finance issues and, and fixing your life issues at that. So Nathan, where can everybody follow you? Uh, my Twitter handle is Chronicles Nate. Uh, my name on Twitter is Chronicles of Nate, but I didn't realize that Twitter was going to take out the of in my handle whenever I created it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I just left it. So it's Chronicles Nate on Twitter is where you can find me. That's my biggest social media presence. Um, we also, for anybody who goes through the course, we also have a private Facebook group uh, that's got about 900 people in it now. And um, so we're always adding value to the group in that way. But the easiest way to connect with me is just go to my Twitter account 
and uh, you can kind of get started there. Excellent. Get out there. Follow Nate on Twitter. Uh, that's it for us today. This has been Mission is Legacy podcast with your host, Jason the Argonaut, and my esteemed guest, Nate Dean. So I would like to say uh, thank you for tuning in, and y'all have a good one.